Atrungum utkolangar. Podcaston et trendas bardos ob viernus se trendu. Welcome to Con Langer, the podcast about constructed languages and the people who create them. I'm George Corley. Uh, with me uh, over down the street of Lays is William Annis. Hello. And over in Maine, we have Mike Lentine. Hello. Man, it's really ridiculous that, that I still have you over Skype, William. Why? I don't know. It just It just feels weird to me. You know, as far as ridiculous, I'm... I used to live in a house where people would text each other from room to room, so I don't know how ridiculous this is. I mean, at least you're not in the same house. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. If the that house mind. is big enough, that doesn't make... That's not obviously insane, but okay. Anyway. Um, yeah. Uh, William and I had an exciting day yesterday. Yeah. Oh. We met another conlanger in medicine. Uh, is In medicine? Madison. Oh, Ma- I'm like, is medicine a town? <laughs> in Madison. Madison. Yeah, there's another guy who goes to uh, UW-Madison. So uh, he got in contact with me, and we met up for lunch, and it was oh, fun. Yes. Very cool. Okay. We alarmed the other patrons by talking about weird verb things. And- Did you guys I don't think anybody sounds? really noticed. Pardon? Uh, I, I was wondering if you really practiced noticed. adjectives and implosives. There were some strange sounds, but nothing quite that vigorous. No ejectives, no clicks, nothing like that. <laughs> mm-hmm. There was discussion of uvulars for a while, though. Yes. Oh, my. I said a pharyngeal at one point. Right, right. People, yeah. Um, so, anyway, let's go on ahead and, and talk about our topic, because that's, that's all we're going to have. Um. We're going to start out this topic with an email, because that's how we got the... Um, uh, actually, this guy also sent it through the suggestions form, but uh, I just thought I'd read the email. He says, um, Con Langery, I just made this suggestion on the webpage, and it occurred to me that I did not sign my name. Anyway. Uh, there's a field for commenting, blah, blah, blah. He says, on the forums, I often see links to linguistics papers or books. Usually I have trouble getting much use out of them as opposed to looking up grammar topics on Wikipedia. How should one go about separating the wheat from the chaff? This might be a good no-research topic for William once he gets back. Uh, <laughs> regards, Alex Jonas. And um, just a side note, he says, uh, P.S. My dad's from Wisconsin my mom's from West Virginia. I was born in Madison. Pepperoni rolls are good. Oh, Fantastic. <laughs> But anyway, we can talk about pepperarials later. But here we have the, our question is, how how should this guy be reading linguistics papers? And what 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 how what's what's good for a conlanger to get out of a linguistics paper? I thought this was a really good topic to to um, go over because, you know, it's it's. It's good for conlangers to be looking at this kind of work and seeing what real languages do and stuff. 
One thing I want to stay say off the top is sort of our we have our standard disclaimer is we are all naturalistic art langers. So most of our advice is going to be from that perspective. Um and then but uh I think that's that's about so if you're an Engelanger or an Oxlanger or something like that, you may um you may have different ideas on what you can get out of linguistics paper. That's that um that uh and we may uh talk about that a little bit. But uh we wanna get right into the, the topic here. Sure. Yeah. So I wrote up a bunch of notes here and I wanted to start off with uh first of all, what kinds of papers do you want to find as a conlanger? And my I have a couple ideas here. First, the first one is typology papers because Absolutely. that Absolutely. Yes, yeah, those, those are good ones. Uh so those and they're usually sort of theory light and we'll get to some some talking about what what um about uh why you need to avoid theory and it's mm. just sort of typology papers are usually just sort of a laundry list of things you can you can uh incorporate in your conlang or not. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, another one is actual grammars of a particular language, you know, like the SIL grammars that we often talk about when we feature natlangs, those kinds of things. Cause it's, that's documentary work. It's, it's, it, it's, uh, very good for you to, to pick out little neat little features and examples and stuff to, to inspire you. Although, um, I, I mean, we should warn that some grammars out there, are written with a very strong theoretical bias. Yes. I think there's less of this happening these days because people are starting to complain that, right, you wrote this dissertation of a grammar of, I don't know, Blackfoot, and you used a theoretical description that, you know, the theory was turned over a few years ago. So you've got a grammar that people can't even read. Yeah, yeah. Because it, it, it's couched in terms of a theory no one believes anymore. Yeah, that's... That that is that is an important thing, and we'll we'll be talking about a little bit more about that later. But yeah, for for right at the moment, I I will say you know we had a little bit of an issue with our grammar of Ogami because it wasn't theory heavy, but it had uh, I think that he was making some some like assumptions from his theory, and he also had his own particular analysis. In the grammar, the, the author of that grammar. Yeah. That we, that, you know, uh, me and David, we were a little bit skeptical of a few things that he said. Um, uh, so going back just, just so I can get through my, uh, list here, I have, so grammars of languages. Another one is a paper on a particular linguistic feature. So, Right now, if I could find it, um, I have in my room somewhere a printout of a, of a paper that is, it's just like two or three pages and it's all about cardinal directions in Google Imitir, uh, if I'm pronouncing that right, which mm-hmm. is one of these Australian languages that has no words for left and right. They use cardinal directions only. So since I want to in the future make a language that has that feature, I went specifically looking for papers that were ab- about that type type of language and specifically about how they handled the cardinal directions so I could 
get an idea of what a realistic system would be. Right. Um, and that's a really good point about this. It's really easy as a matter of pure creativity to concoct some interesting structure or way of doing things. Yeah. That's quite easy. Mm-hmm. Sometimes sitting down and thinking through all of the implications of that can be a little bit harder. And that's one of the great things about looking at real languages that do something similar to what you're doing yeah. is you can get a clue about, Oh, I would not have thought that, yeah, you know, how to say that you're moving in that direction or clouds in that. I mean, there's various interesting things that happen yeah. in the Australian language. Like there's things like, um, I think there's like different forms of the direction terms that have to do with, um, how far away it is relative to something else in the discourse. So mm-hmm. things right. like, things like that are things that I wouldn't have really been thinking about. Right, right. So they, they can give you a little more depth and, mm-hmm, and yeah. maybe new things to think about, which you may or may not want, but at least you know that that becomes a possibility. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, another thing that's important is, is historical linguistics. Yep. And then again, again, especially, uh, a historical treatment on something that you want to include on your language. I had a couple papers printed out. I can't find them now, but I had a couple papers printed out on, uh, tonogenesis because I want to make, make a tonal language eventually. Mm. And, uh, I just like, I'm, I have a vague idea of how tonogenesis works, but I, I don't know, I, I don't know the details of like what consonants cause what tone changes and stuff. So I was going to read up on that a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and my last thing, and this is tangential to, to the topic of the show, but people like, uh, me, and I know there's a lot out, out there that make conlangs for con worlds. Mm-hmm. Would l- probably want to look uh, into sociolinguistics stuff and also resources on the history of language, not historical linguistics per se, but like the history of English or the history of, um, for example, I'm reading right now, I've been reading for months, The Last Lingua Franca, which is extremely dense and extremely academic, but it's basically about history. And mm-hmm. it goes over several different lingua francas and sort of the, the, the general, like, linguistic, um, environment they each inhabited and how each of them became a lingua franca, what they were particular, particularly used for in different eras. So that's really valuable for me in the sense of I have to figure out where, how my languages fit in a con world. Oh. So that that is useful for those of you who have con worlds. Yep. Okay. So that's uh did you guys have any other possible suggestions of what kinds of of things you you should be looking for or No, I think for me that seems to cover it. Mhm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, the second thing that I wanted to point out is Things that you should watch out about and, uh, and possibly, you know, be, uh, you know, maybe some things you might want to avoid or take with a grain of salt and stuff. And the first bullet point on the, on the list here, uh, as William has already brought up is theory. Mm-hmm. So, um, the, 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 I, 
sort of a mini tangent here. There's a reason we don't talk. We we try to avoid getting too far into linguistic theory on the show. And the main, some of the points, some of those reasons are, for one, I I don't really have the top of the the background to talk in depth about theory. Really, I'm just starting to get into that 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 side of linguistics. Uh, I don't know. William might, you might be a little bit better on it, but I don't think you've really explored theoretical linguistics much at all. No, it, I get it in doses when I'm reading these papers looking for other things. Yeah, yeah. But for the most part, I've not sat down and made a study mm-hmm. of X-bar theory because I think it's hooey. Yeah. Um, and, um, Mike, I'm sure you're not really well versed in, in theory per se. Uh, and, yeah, and I don't, I don't, I think that most of our listeners, some of you are professional linguists and, and could, would be able to follow it, but for a lot of our listeners, it might melt your brains. And I don't know necessarily that understanding X-bar theory is going to help you create your language. Yeah, and that's another thing that um, we went over in our uh, episode on pitfalls of frameworks, is they're not always that useful. Linguistic theories are designed to analyze languages. They are not designed for created, creating languages. Um, so, like, nothing I've learned in my syntax class so far really has any application to conlanging that I can see. Because, like, in order to make something that actually breaks the theory, I would have to be like deliberately trying to do it. And, it, mm-hmm. and it's not necessarily, you know, it's not a given that any particular linguistic theory is true either. Mike, right. I was going to say, it seems kind of like, um, linguistic theory is talking about why lingua, you know, the study of language works the way it does. And to construct, create a language, you don't necessarily need to know why the meta linguistic uh, discussion works the way it does. You just need to know what's there and how it works. Yeah. And you don't need to know why uh, in English you have dummy do or why in uh, you know this language the WH moves here. You just need to know that it does. And uh, I think it's going like you guys like you were saying goes a little bit deeper than link than conlangers need to go. Mm-hmm. And it's just you know there there are many competing theories in linguistics. And the, it's not a given that any one of them will be true. And even if they are true, I really feel like learning more about actual languages, uh, uh, about, and, um, learning sort of from a holistic perspective, how, what, what options are available and such, and getting a general feel for what is natural is easier and, will get better results for conlangers than going down theory rabbit holes and trying to right. construct a language from some linguistic theory. Which is why typology is so important. It's, I mean, the, typology is not theory neutral as, as much as it like might like to claim that it is, but it is much more sort of data rich mm-hmm. than, than abstract and theoretical. Yeah. yeah. And that's what you want to look at is the data. So, yep. Yep. Um, and a couple other things that I wanted to point out, um, terminology. So it, partly this is, can be a, 
associated with theory because some linguistic theories have particular definitions of certain term terms that are mm-hmm. not really the same as what we we would call some term in, on the podcast. Mm-hmm. And um uh we had this problem with ogami um sometimes people will define their term by citing somebody else. So you have to take note of that when somebody somebody is doing that particular thing and you know just sort of be aware that people might be using terms in a slightly different way. Yeah. Um and the last thing is uncertainty. There's there's always a possibility that something you read in a linguistics paper is not true or um you know because linguists do not know every language on in the world. There's no linguist that does and sometimes they do things that they're simply mistaken about. Uh, an example, I recently went to a, 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 um, a presentation of somebody's, um, paper that he was covering Afro-Bolivian Spanish. And it was a theory paper. It was disproving a particular theory. Although I did pull something out of it that was useful for, for a, a conling of mine that I, I can talk about later. And, um, and, uh, one thing that happened was, so this is a very small group that's in this room, maybe, you know, 20 people in this room, and there's seven Chinese people. And they, and after the guy was talking, done talking, they all hit him with questions about Chinese, and eventually he has to say, you know, I don't know anything about Chinese. But they actually pointed out an error that he made because he was, he was pointing out that, um, that Afro-Bolivian Spanish doesn't have a much many distinction and, and he was under the impression that somehow Chinese did, but it doesn't. So that, that, those things can uh, happen. I don't know if really it's that important if a particular fact is or is not true for a conlanger if it's if you're using it for inspiration but it's something to keep in mind hmm. you guys have been very very silent <laughs> no i'm jumping in i've got my own list we'll be getting I have my list after soon. williams yeah. yeah but um so just like and sort of that's the sort of the all of my notes my last couple things in to conclude with for me would be Things to focus on are examples, examples, examples. Those are very important. And a little bit of the explanation of what's going on. And, you know, even little bits that are tangential to the, the main crux of the paper might be of interest for you as an inspiration. For example, um, in this Afro-Bolivian Spanish paper, I found an in- interesting idea about articles. Um, uh, there's... It can, Afro-Bolivian Spanish apparently can drop the article, the, the definite article, any time that definiteness can be assumed from context, including when you have words that are for things that are unique, like the sun or the world or something like that, which those require articles in English. They require articles in standard Spanish, but for some reason in Afro-Bolivian Spanish, you can just say mundo, world, with no definite oh. article. So those are 
the, that's just a, a, a particular example. You know, those little things can, can inspire you to, to, to do different things with your own, uh, conline. So, um, and William, so you have a, an interesting sort of thing more on how to find these papers in the first place. Right. Um, there, we're in a lovely age, mm-hmm. a great time. During our Conlanger lunch yesterday, um, I mentioned to George that when I was taking Mandarin Chinese, I had to use a damned paper dictionary all the time. Huh. And that's painful. <laughs> yeah. Whereas these days, certainly both yeah. George and Mike and, and most people these days have m- much faster, more convenient dictionaries. For just just to give people an idea, so realize that there are thousands and thousands of characters in a completely open system in in Chinese. Oh, okay, George, we do not need to explain yes. how a Chinese dictionary. I'm not works going today. to explain it. I'm just going to say <laughs> there are different ways to index these characters, and all of them are a pain to deal with in a dictionary. Trying in to paper look it dictionary. Up, so. Yeah, yeah. All right, so, but we have vast amounts of information available freely on the internet. So, one thing I find is it does not hurt always to include the word linguistics in your search string. Mm-hmm. Um, most of the resources you want. I mean, it doesn't hurt and it seems to help. There are things that are hidden behind a paywall, right? You find this great paper, or it looks like, and then you click the link and you get there and you're like, you have to pay $30 for this paper. Like, no. But yeah. there's plenty that isn't. Sometimes you will find an early draft of the paper. The author has made it available online. Mm-hmm. So even if you find a paper that might be interesting, don't give up. If you first find it, you know, at JSTOR and they won't let you see it, you might be able to find an early draft online, which for conlangy purposes is fine. Yeah, me mm-hmm. and William are, are very lucky because we can go through our university library and actually right, right. get right on JSTOR and search there. But even, I mean... Even without that, there's still an awful lot out there. Yeah, um, I mean, you can uh, Google if you search Google Scholar. Sometimes they will just have uh, a link to uh, PDFs that are free to download and yep, stuff. Yep. So, um, another thing you can find, which are sometimes even more useful, is often before a paper is written and sent in, it is a presentation that is given in various places so that you can listen to other linguists tell you why your ideas are terrible so that you can improve your paper. And almost always in linguistics talks, there's a handout or two. Yeah. Which are going to be full of these examples. And those are often also available online in convenient formats. So it's just all of the examples you care about right there without any of the extraneous stuff. Yeah. Yeah. The, I, I, you know, and, uh, that it's sort of standard practice for any, any linguist giving a paper to giving a presentation to give people a handout. So it's always out there and it's, it's a little easier to digest than, than the actual paper, I would say, because it's, it's shorter and it's bullet pointed and it's, you know. Just I mean, examples and stuff. Yes, and hopefully it has more than just the examples, because if it's just a list of sentences with glosses, that might not, not, not well, help I, you. <laughs> there's, usually, much, but... there's usually some explanation. It's, yeah. it's like an outline. Yeah. Um, um, and in the, the measure of last resort, if you're polite, an author, if you send them email, might send you a reprint. Yes. Um, I 
when I was an undergraduate, worked in a lab, and my job was to collect the postcards that someone sent the lab investigator asking for reprints of his papers. So I was probably the last, in the last generation where when you published a paper, the publisher sent you, you know, some number of reprints so that when people sent you mail, you could send out the paper. <laughs> the internet has made that all much nicer. Yeah, people, you just have... You have infinite copies of PDF, so you just send right, it. Right, right, um, So how do we interpret these wonderful resources that we have? Um, oh, one thing I was going to say before I get to that is at the end of a paper is going to be a list of references. Often it is worthwhile to go quick, take a look at what the titles of those reference papers are because one of them might be exactly what you're looking for um, and, and try to find that if you can. So, you know, don't... I mean, the bibliography can be looks sort of dense and be forbidding, but just look at the titles. And if something seems interesting, it might be worthwhile to track it down. Yeah, that's um, that's just a, a thing that is is um, good in academic papers in general. Is is that, it's true, uh, but I don't know how many conlanger hobby conlangers out there have any sort of academic training, so they may not be used to yeah stopping I mean, to, to stare. Yeah, that's it's that's it's just the 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 sort of standard to to look at people's citations, and it is it will possibly lead you in uh, different directions. Of course, you can go into merry little rabbit holes that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, yes, yes, that's <laughs> certainly true. Um, so most less books and grammars, but definitely a linguistics paper is going to take the same sort of general layout. Mm-hmm. They are going to be discussing a phenomenon. They are going to talk about previous theoretical attempt, attempts to cope with the phenomenon. And they're mm-hmm. going to talk about why those previous theoretical attempts suck. <laughs> and then they're going to talk about why their interpretation is better. Mm-hmm. Those are actually um, the headings, right? Those are the headings. Why Bob's idea sucked. <laughs> no. But yeah, the, that that is how it how it is um you know the the presentation i was talking about you know he was he he particularly talked about this particular guy's theory it was i think it was kerkia his his theory on um well i won't go go into what 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 it is but he he talked about this other theory and he's then he said okay but in this particular language it doesn't work it it doesn't fit it into into any of his categories, so uh, I'm going to suggest that this is a, a hole in his theory. Right, and the point is, for the purposes of a conlanger, you really want to read that phenomenon that's being discussed because yes. that's gonna, that's going to contain the most interesting stuff. It might be interesting to know where previous theories fall down. It might not. If there are lots of examples, that might be good. Mm-hmm. Um, so there may be entire sections of a paper that you simply don't care about the conclusions you don't care about, mm-hmm. um, as a conlanger, um, and you don't care about the main body of their argument, except insofar as there are good examples. Um, there might be little tidbits of interesting things lurking around. So, you know, you might want to skim the rest of it, but m- mostly what you care about as a conlanger is to see whatever it is they're discussing that struck them as interesting or wild. Um, so for example, when not V first came out, I didn't understand very much about tripartite languages. And so I had fun finding papers on tripartite languages and figure out how they really worked. 
yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, it's generally if, um, there's, there's just certain things that you want to look at. Yes. The theory, the, 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 um, particular phenomenon, uh, uh, under discussion, uh, is the best part and the examples, as long as you, you have ways of interpreting the examples. Because really, we don't need to go very deep when we're making a conlang. We just need to be able to make a language that looks realistic or, or has whatever our goals are. Right. Um, if I, I want to say, like, if you are an Englanger, you might be wanting to construct a language based on a particular theory. If you are an Oxlanger, you might not, not necessarily be wanting to do theory stuff, but want to look at language acquisition to see if you can find out what language, uh, what feature, what features will make your language easier to learn. That kind of thing is sort of outside of our experience. So we're, we didn't want to, didn't go much into depth on it, but, um, yeah. Uh, Mike, you have a few different, you have a few ideas here yeah. as well in your own sort of notes here. So um, when I was writing my notes, I realized, uh, well, I realized that I kind of approached it more of why, and I approached it from a little bit more of a, maybe someone who didn't, who isn't already looking for uh, linguistics papers or linguistic literature. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I started off saying, you know, but guys, I'm a something or other, if you're not a linguist, why would I want to read a paper on that? Well, there are a few uh, possible motivations or benefits about for, that you can get from reading linguistic papers um, as a conlanger. Um, in the show notes, I put a list and I put a little thing mentioning that. I realize most of these are applied to why one would uh, research or read linguistic papers. But um, from reading those papers, you can learn about the fe- you can learn about features of languages that you may have never known existed, and mm-hmm. um, you can learn about not only just the the features that you may have never known existed, but also about languages that you never may have never known existed. Um, you can get new ideas for new mechanics that languages implement themselves, uh, implement for various conjugations, declensions, structures, word orders, tricks, etc. Um, you can learn and get acquainted with t- terminology that people use in the field of linguistics. And uh, I have, the last point I have on this er- section is uh, to get an idea for a way to present your language. Yeah, I that's, actually, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, uh, go ahead. Well, um, the language just before the one I'm working on right now, I uh, presented it in a blog as a lingu- as a linguist who just discovered this this uh, civilization that uses this language. So it comes across as kind of like a field linguist who is writing about this language he discovered and learning it and learning about how the applications are. So if you're interested in that kind of, um, I guess, framework to d- display your language. If you read linguistics papers, when you go to write your, um, you know, your fictitious work about this creation of yours, it can be more like what you see out there, and it can cover areas that you may not have thought it to cover. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and I wanted to sort of reemphasize: looking at these papers gives you many opportunities to learn about lots of different languages you may never have heard of. Right? There are some six thousand in the world ish. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and most of us have no opportunity to encounter most of them, but we can learn a little bit about them in the papers. It's really interesting. Um, one thing that I noticed, mm-hmm. or I have noticed, about those um, conlangers who are also linguists mm-hmm. is they are much more like... So the common conception of what a linguist does 
is somebody who speaks languages and learns languages. That is almost never the case. Most mm-hmm. people who are linguists are studying the brain effectively. They're trying to understand how our minds process language. And that's why you get some of this and, theory stuff. And that's a valuable pursuit. No, no, absolutely. Right. It's yeah, it's very it's... important. It's the most compl- it's the most astonishing things humans do, probably. Yeah. yeah. And we want to understand that, and that's fine. But it seems when we were having lunch yesterday, you know, Matt, he's studying Middle Dutch. Well, why wouldn't you study Middle Dutch? <laughs> or, and he, you know, we he and I bonded briefly over how great Coptic was. No practical need for either of us to understand Coptic, but this love of languages, actual mm-hmm. languages and not theories about language, I think is provides the fundamental basis for certainly our style of conlanging. Yeah. Or yeah, I, I think care about them. So like one of the um one of the sort of funnier sort of critiques that people have of conlangers, the the things that people uh if they know anything about conlangers at all and they 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 don't like the idea that they'll shout like why aren't you spending time uh documenting endangered languages? Well, actually Conlangers, if they become linguists, and not all of them do, I think conlangers are the most likely to actually want to go, if they have the resources, sure. and document endangered languages. Because that's what we're into in, in linguistics, is looking right. at other, at, at different languages. Yeah. <laughs> Although, I gotta say that question always irritates me for the simple reason that being a field linguist takes a lot of training. The idea that any random schmo can grab a notebook and head into the bush and document a language no, yeah. is it's, oh, yeah. so, it's, so ludicrous. It's a weird it's a weird false equivalence because not it only does it require bizarre. a lot of training, but mm-hmm. it also requires resources. You have to you have to have money to travel places. Mm-hmm. And you have to be able to convince the locals to to uh let you document their language, and some communities are actually aren't uh, aren't too uh, happy about that idea. So yeah, uh, me spending time practicing my banjo does about the same amount of harm or help to endangered languages as me conlanging. Yeah, it's it's, it's just a hobby. Yeah, it, I could be you know raising orchids. Mm-hmm. I could be watching football. I could be playing banjo. I could be inventing languages. None of these hobbies have anything to do with. The preservation of dying languages, because that requires people with special skills being funded to go out and do things. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it's like not everything you do has to be like obviously productive in some way. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, sorry, Mike, we've taken a tangent here on your. You, we, we have to do something to just for fun, okay? <laughs> yeah, I, I wasn't trying to say that. I wasn't trying to make any sort of connection between field linguists and conlangers any more than that. Field linguists may write papers that conlangers are interested in reading. That's the yeah, only that's, connection I was that's trying to make. absolutely true. Especially, you know, field field linguists are the people who put out those grammars that yeah. that are useful. And um, I was going to highlight when you said the to get an idea for a one way to present your language. Definitely. So you know, a grammar is probably the best your best shot at looking at. Like stuff like the sill grammars and the, and you know, just, you know, anything where it's just some guy went out somewhere to document a language and, and, you know, was talking to people and, um, that's all documentary in, in nature. There's not 
there's usually not a whole lot of theory shenanigans going on in that, mm-hmm. you know, it's just... <laughs> and theory shenanigans. I want great. to say... I mean, the Silgrammers do have a very strong theory, this tagmemic business, but they're so um, example-focused that it doesn't really get in the way. Yeah, I mean, okay, and I want to say we're not going to take a stance on particular linguistic theories as far as their usefulness in general on this podcast because it's not what this podcast is about we're not going to say that you know theoretical linguistics is bad it's just that it's not as we don't see it as being that useful for conlanging because it's got different goals um although i will say that if you see something described as a generative grammar of something or then you may want to sort of back away slowly because you may be going into a particular theoretical rabbit hole that will eat you. So (laughs) I do have a generative grammar of Blackfoot and it's appalling. I eventually just deleted it. Anyway, sorry, Mike, we derailed you a bit. No, no, it's all right. I mean, I totally, if, if I, Sound like I was saying something I wasn't. I did not mean. No, that no, no. It's not that. It's just you provided a base for a little tangent for. <laughs> okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, well, um, your next bit is how different fields of linguistics, uh, different the the your points can be applied across different fields, right? Yeah, and um, just like you know, you guys mentioned earlier, you can learn about uh things that exist in the language of the world, like for phonology, you can learn about how new sounds um are used in languages of the world that you may not know of. If you just speak only English, you may not know about ejectives, or you may not know about clicks. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you can learn about different phonetics um, and, you know, and, features. And I think uh, this is really important, again, is it mm-hmm. gives you context. Anyone can look yeah. at an IPA chart and go, oh, you know, but that doesn't give you necessarily the picture of what it, how these sorts of concepts are going to operate in a real language, which looking at the sorts of documentation really helps you with. Yeah, you... When you're building a phonology, you don't want to just build, like, an inventory. You don't want to just, like, pick what sounds best to you. You want to build a system. And this, and, and looking at phonologies of, of different languages will help you figure out how your phonological system will work. Yeah, so, um, that's with phonetics. For phonotactics and historical sound change, you can learn about how sounds interact with one another. Yeah. You can learn about how or you can read about how lenition happens or um, between Old English and Middle English or Middle Dutch and, and present-day Dutch. Or you can learn about how natural languages um, evolve. And as you know, a naturalistic artlanger, you may be interested in that kind of natural development and want to, mo- want to use that to kind of inform how you grow and change your language. Mm-hmm. Um, with morphology, or um, you can learn about different ways that affixes can be changed or added to a word or slip, slid in or changing the vowels. Um, you can learn about how different languages of the world use affixes. So um, if you've never thought about non-concatenative morphology, you can learn about um, you know, how Semitic languages may use a tricontinental system or how uh, Chinese changes the tones by, based on what's surrounding it. I mean, there are a lot of different areas in there. That's not so much morphology, but again, on the phonology area, Mm-hmm. Um, syntax. These things bleed I'm sorry. Into each other. These things bleed into each other. So yeah. Um, the last real example of a branch I have on here is syntax, where if you're interested in a language that's VSO, for example, you can see how languages 
that use VSO would you would uh, structure their sentences or if there's differences there and you can use it to basically um, so you don't have to go down and see how the whole thing will shake out. You can see how languages that are already existing mm-hmm. uh, may do that. Although I will say that um, not to keep harping on the, the, uh, the, the, the theory thing, but syntax is like the hot place for theory right now. So it's, you, you have to be a little bit careful in, in, in that you don't start getting into a paper that you cannot understand at all. <laughs> Apparently syntax is so central that I've read at least two accounts where people say that when Chomsky says language, he really means syntax. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, I just offered that for consideration. I don't know if it's true yeah. or not. Now, um, I think also not all the time when someone is trying to explain a phenomenon, it's not always the case that the explanation is, is useless to you because um, particularly people who are working with actual data and that are showing you actual data, um, in some cases I did go to one linguistics talk where the actual conclusions were helpful for me because um, it was conversation analysis and comparing it was very limited thing. It was comparing uh, negative sentences in English and in Japanese and how negative scope is figured out. Yeah. And basically she chose English and Japanese because, you know, English, you have the negative uh, morpheme near the front of the sentence. In Japanese, it's the negative form of the verb, which is at the end of the sentence. And one of the things she said is like, it seems like in with English speakers, you have to sort of say, okay, negative starts here and there's certain clues. I won't, you know, get into details, but certain prosodic clues about where the negative, um, uh, to, that help you figure out where the, the, the scope of the negative ends. With Japanese, she was getting at the idea of, you know, how is it that Japanese speakers deal with that when they have to be processing the whole sentence before the negative happens? And she basically found out that a lot of times Japanese sentences tend to be, the negative sentences in Japanese tend to be shorter than in English. And another thing was that uh, they ha- tend to have like sort of words that will anticipate a negative, particular negative anticipating items or something that that will you know, signal that there's probably going to be a negative at the end. So that's useful. That's yeah, interesting. That, that's useful, especially if you are, if you want to have a, a negative final language like I have, and maybe you want to do texts or especially dialogues or something and make it realistic. So sometimes those kinds of conclusions are useful to you. But, you know, other times, you sort of have to take everything and think about it as, if from the conlang perspective, you always have to be thinking about, is this really useful to me? Do I really need to pay attention to it? Because sometimes it it can be useful, but a lot of the times, the the theory and the conclusions and stuff is is not going to make any difference in how you construct your language. Yeah. Um, 
that kind of feeds in well to my last little bit I have on here. Um, my helpful, helpful hints and, uh, well, I called them words of wisdom, but with a little W. This is not necessarily my words of wisdom big W for the episode. <laughs> um, but uh, some things that you can remember before you go into this scary endeavor of reading linguistics papers. Um, don't be afraid. They don't bite. Um, if you find a term you don't understand or a th- um, and a topic you don't understand, you, you know, don't be afraid to go look it up and or wander down any other tangential paths you may discover. Sometimes when you're looking up one topic and you see something that's interesting, that may be where your next great idea for something to implement in your language comes from. So I'd say by all means, go forward. And um, if you see something interesting, jot it down if you don't want to look it up right away. But don't don't forget about it or don't deny yourself that uh, potential inspirational source there. Um what you were just saying, um, this ties into that, uh, my next point, number three, don't, uh, you don't necessarily need to understand everything that is being mentioned for it to be beneficial to you. So, yeah. um, if they're talking about, you know, uh, I don't know, some special type of clinician, you don't necessarily have to understand what, like all the, po- all the points of articulation or all the manners of articulation are. But if you just think, oh, that sounds interesting, I'll try that. That's all you need to understand, um, you know, this is all supplemental, mm. and it's not like you're going to be quizzed on it. It's just for your own edification, for your own, um, you know, betterment or getting better at this hobby. So don't freak out. Oh my gosh, it's so di- so dense. I can't understand all of it. You don't have to. Yeah, it's just, just for it's fun. it's it's for inspiration. You know, it helps if you can understand at least the points that that help you with the conlang. But you know, mm-hmm. um, um, the last two points I have here. Um, one of them, the second to last one, is uh, you're going to be the master of your language. So you're the beginning and end of all all knowledge for the la- for this conlang. So if there's something that you're wondering, oh, is this usage of X Y Z correct in uh, in my conlang? The answer is so long if you say it's right and you're confident about it, then yes, it's right. Nobody's going to say no. That's wrong. It's your language. It's your creation. It's yours. So don't be if don't get freaked out or be too self conscious about that. Because uh, languages are full of very irregularity and full of wonderful mm-hmm. diversity, so don't let someone tell you that the way you're doing your language is wrong. It may just not be the way they've seen other languages done. Um, you know, of course, there will be people that say, "No, no, you—that's not yeah. regular. That's wrong in the sense of no natural language would change the word for tree, whether it's on a hill or in a valley." But you know, whatever, just. Go or forth and yeah. do what you want. It's I want to. I, 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 can I talk a little bit about this? This is sure. this is the main difference between you know a linguist and a conlanger. Is a linguist is trying to figure out how a language works. Yeah. A conlanger is setting down how a language works by fiat, and mm. you you do need to understand that you know when you're reading linguistics papers. The, you know, the linguist may, may or may not be right about the thing. But when you set down what you're doing in your conlang, you, I do think you need to try to understand things as best you can and try to make sure that all the features fit together. Mm-hmm. But in the, at the end of the day, you are the god of that language. You are yes. the one and only member of the speaker community. So you basically just dictate what the rules are. Yeah. Um, and there's different ways that people approach doing that, but it's different. Yeah. And then what's the, the, your last point here? Well, um, just before I go off this, I was just going to say that the only pointer that some people might give or make, or try to 
guide you is if your language is completely irregular, completely nothing is the same and never stays the same. Like sometimes you say one conjugation is this, sometimes it's that. Yeah. That Are might you- be a little wrong in the sense of it's not really so much a language necessarily at that point. It's or if it's, kind of it's just a it just if if gibberish. things just don't make any sense at all. Yeah, because it's yeah. all we're coming at this from the creators, and you want things to at least hang together like a real language. If you're not interested yeah. in that, then go crazy. Last point: um, any additional reading or research that you may do is supplementary to your conlang. Um, it's 100% optional, um, and I have one little addendum there. That is, so long as it's not required for you to do by some out- outside class or employer. Um, if you're doing this for a class or being paid the language, then yes, you may have to do this research and. Uh, I don't mean to say, you know, no, forget about it. It's just supplemental. Um, if you're doing it for a class or something else, obviously, then you do have to do it. But it's um, completely just for your own benefit. Yeah. So, you don't you. have to do research. It just it just will help you with your conlanging. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> I am constitutionally <laughs> incapable of not doing research. <laughs> I had one sketch that I was doing when I, I stopped dead in my tracks for a month because I had to go learn about internally headed relative clauses. Yeah, uh, well, yes, this is this this is how William approaches things. I, yeah. I, I, I I'm a little bit less like hyper about that kind of thing than you are, William. I don't always um, I don't always do my due diligence and and figure out everything beforehand sometimes. So, but um. It will very much help help you to do to be looking at these papers, and I hope that we've we've helped some people by by going over some little pointers on how to find it, what to look for in a paper, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. And thank you for the question or the suggestion. Yes. Uh, what's mm-hmm. the name again? Alex. Yeah, Alex. Alex. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and. Um, that came to us through our email, and uh, we have a few other um, emails that were suggesting topics. And and the, if if I didn't, if you have had an email uh, out to Conlanger for a long time, and it was suggesting a topic, it might be because I want to. If the uh, if I because I'm saving it for um for when we do the episode, just read at the top of the show. Um, uh, a couple things. You guys have any other things you want to cover before we go, or can nope. we kind of? I'm, I think we've covered yeah. this topic very well. Okay. Yeah, we can. Yeah. Um, another th- um one thing I want to mention before I go, we go. I meant to uh plug this at the top of the show, but um, uh, David Peterson gave an interview uh with uh, Jean Retainment on Blog Talk Radio. Um. And it was really, it was really good interview. And, um, um, I think, I think one of the, the better interviews is done because some of the, some, some of them don't get into all the, the things about the conlang community the way that this one did. And, um, so, and he talks about his stuff with Defiance as well as with Game of Thrones. And, and there's some interesting stuff regarding him there. And another thing is, uh, keep sending in. Top of the show greetings. I still, I'm, I have a few of them now, but, uh, I really, uh, I really don't want to run out again. Um, I'm, I'm thinking of ways to, to deal with, uh, the, the issue of those, the way those sort of trickle in, in. But for now, you know, I'm just going to keep encouraging people to, to send those in and send in just emails to conlangery at gmail.com. 
and, you know, uh, all that kind of stuff. And with that, I'm going to toss to William and ask him, what are your final words of wisdom? I have no wisdom today. Okay. Uh, and, uh, Mike? Um, I guess I'll just say, um, you know, again, don't let being afraid of not understanding the top, the paper or being afraid that it's too, too big of a paper or that you don't want to, you know, you won't understand everything so you can't do it. Basically, just don't let being afraid of doing something stop you from going ahead and working with it and trying to do it because you'll learn something from just doing it. So don't be afraid and do it. Okay. And I'm going to say happy conlanging. Thank you for listening to Conlangery. You can find our archives and show notes at conlangery.com. You can send questions, comments, or topic or featured language suggestions to conlangery at gmail.com. To submit a Conlang or Natlang greeting for the top of the show, see our Contribute page for details. Web space for Conlangery is provided by the Language Creation Society, and our theme music is by Null Device. now back to your regularly scheduled recording. George, is there any other feedback we want to get in today, or are we ready to go? Uh, I was thinking just to, since we have the email at the front, sure. we're not going to do feedback. Okay. You sound like a ray of sunshine this afternoon. Mm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's hilarious. Ah! Whoa. Why did I drink milk right at, right before I did this? Ew. That's not good. That's um, disgusting. When I got home from work, I'm like, I can't, you know, today I have conlangery, and then I feel like my brain went into a haze, and I'm like, oh, don't worry, you know, they're on different time zones, so. <laughs> somehow I completely time... spaced an episode once, too, with Bianca, so. Yeah. Everyone gets good <laughs> once. Yeah. But, yeah, um, I think I spaced on one once. I think I need to shovel my sidewalk. <laughs> Go have fun with that. Yes, it is actually snowing. <laughs>